Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. Okay, so last Monday, September 18th, in response to a deluge of emails and texts from Commune members, teachers, partners, and staff, I recorded a podcast episode addressing the allegations of sexual assault levied against Russell Brand. Now you can consider this episode part two, and hopefully no sequel will be required. I really want to return to fulfilling Commune's mission, the project of helping people be well. That is my preferred sandbox. However, I am giving this matter its due attention because it relates to so many salient societal issues, including obviously sexual assault, but also the erosion of trust in institutions, mob mentality, the ad-driven media model, censorship, and content moderation. And of course, I'm really trying to nurture the community that we've created here at Commune by providing a transparent window into our effort to have a nuanced, compassionate, and balanced response to a very complicated situation that we didn't choose. The initial episode, number 490, which serves practically as Commune's public statement, was recorded a mere 36 hours after the initial broadcast of Channel 4's Dispatches documentary, the investigative report that presented the accusations, but prior to the availability of the documentary in the United States. As indicated in the podcast episode, my initial thoughts were based on news reports, as well as Russell's denial video. I felt it was important to make a statement both swiftly and cautiously, despite not having all the facts at hand. Now, given that I don't expect everyone to have tuned into that initial podcast, I'll provide a brief summary of it. Apologies if this is repetitive for some of you. Before jumping in, I'd like to make one request, or I might qualify it as a challenge. Now, as I steelman the numerous contours of this situation, I am almost certainly going to say something in this podcast that you don't agree with, but please try to resist the urge to just turn it off and retreat to your previously held position. If there's one thing that we can all agree on, I think, it's that we live in a wickedly polarized culture and that our inability to listen to each other and to talk to each other is fraying our society. Now, Russell Gate is just perfectly polarizing, seemingly custom tailored for a polarized time. And my great hope here is that there might be a teachable moment amidst the cacophony. Now, Stoicism, for example, exhorts us to separate our judgment of the event from the event itself. Buddhism teaches us to recognize someone else's opinion in equal proportion to our own. Empathic communication seats us in the middle chair, such that we try to assess situations objectively. Viktor Frankl wrote that our liberation lies in cultivating the space between stimulus and response. So if you're here, even as an occasional listener to this podcast, then you probably have a sense that I'm going to try to fairly examine all angles of this trapezoid. Now, even if you disagree 
with some aspect of my oratory or dislike a particular turn of phrase, try to find the space to stick it out until the end. Firstly, sexual abuse, whether it be in the form of physical assault, abuse of power, or in the worst case, rape, has no place, zero place in the moral universe. This behavior is odious in every aspect and the perpetrators of it need to be held accountable. Hard stop. If Russell is proven guilty of these accusations, then he must answer to them. And if he is culpable without remorse, then there is no place for him on commune or any conscious platform for that matter. Secondly, every person deserves due process and the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Our justice system is built atop this very premise. Thirdly, to date, Commune has put over 400,000 people through Russell's recovery program for free. We have hundreds of testimonials from people who share moving accounts about how this course bent their journey toward recovery. Lastly, there are thousands of people actively in this course right now who use it as a lifeline to manage their addictions. So there are other issues to consider here, but these are the primary ones as I attempt to craft the appropriate response. Now, in a perfect world, we'd be able to hear the accusations, examine the evidence, consider the defense, and have a decision rendered by a jury of peers. Unfortunately, cases of sexual abuse allegations like this one, to the great detriment of the women harmed, often do not make it to the courtroom. Instead, they are litigated in the ruthless court of public opinion. Now, this is why many women choose never to confront their perpetrators or must do so anonymously, as in this case. So then it's left to the public amidst a windstorm of information, partial information, misinformation, and editorial bias to determine guilt or innocence. In an attempt to live in a more perfect world, I wanted to take a breath and allow the wheels of justice to turn and to confront this situation the way I approach all of my work with thought and some rigorous research. I want to apprise myself of all of the facts to the best degree that I can know them and then make an informed decision as to commune's response with the goal of minimizing harm. Further, I was absolutely not going to rip the recovery course out from under the feet of people who rely on it as a central component of their sobriety. Again, Commune and Russell's collaboration focused squarely on helping people recover from addiction. I was and will always remain proud of that work. Since the publishing of the initial episode, a few things have transpired. The documentary has been made available to the American audience. I will include the link in the notes. I had the opportunity to watch it in its entirety last week. Now, instead of relying on news reports of the documentary, I encourage everyone to watch the primary source. Now, be forewarned that the content is intense and potentially triggering for some. But if you want to make an educated decision on where you stand, watch it. Now, earlier this week, 
The Metropolitan Police's Scotland Yard confirmed that they had launched an investigation after receiving a number of additional allegations of sexual offenses in London and elsewhere in the country. They also added that all the alleged offenses are non-recent. I've also spoken to a number of sexual assault victim rights advocates. Now, this has been really important in understanding how and why women do and don't make claims of sexual assault and the rate at which those claims are false. Since the publication of the initial podcast, I've received dozens of emails of support and encouragement. My favorite one was forwarded to me by our customer support team. It read, your podcast episode on Russell Brand was well stated, mom. (laughs) So I'll file that in the take what I can get category. But seriously, the middle path can often be a lonely one. So thank you to those who have shown me grace. I appreciate the company. At the same time, hundreds of emails have continued to crest the bow of our customer support and my personal inbox, expressing very strong, sometimes aggressive opinions. We've received many emails from people threatening to cancel their memberships unless we immediately remove Russell from the platform. Several people directed their anger directly at me with strings of expletives. There was even a threat to start a public petition specifically calling out Commune as an enabler of sexual assault. I received a voice text from a friend, someone who I generally trust and admire, exhorting me to immediately remove Russell's course from the platform. When I told him that I was gathering information and there was still vulnerable people in the recovery program, he suggested that I pause on Russell's content until he was, quote, proven innocent. I nearly choked on my tongue when I heard this reasoning. I mean, this is an educated adult promulgating the notion that people are presumed guilty until proven innocent, an idea diametrically opposed to the most basic premise of our judicial system. How flabbergasted I asked him how he had predetermined Russell's guilt, and he sent me a link to a BBC article. So this gentleman, like so many others, had rushed to judgment based on a report about the documentary from the very outlet that employed and arguably abetted Russell Brand during the period of the alleged crimes. Very few people who emailed me, to my knowledge, had actually watched the documentary, mostly because it wasn't available to American audiences. Of course, as I've said, these charges are serious and require thorough examination. But the propensity for people to rush to judgment reflects how captured so many people are by the media and just how dangerous mob mentality is. So there was that. And on the other hand, there were also folks accusing us of succumbing to cancel culture because we decided to remove one previously recorded Russell segment from a new summit that was dropping right on top of the allegations. It just didn't seem prudent to pour gas on a fire at that moment by releasing a Russell segment. Now, I tried to find some humor in people canceling their subscriptions as they accused us of cancel culture. 
And then there were others who claimed that the documentary itself was pure hokum, a setup, a collusion of corporate mainstream outlets determined to silence independent media. Also, an assertion that is pure conjecture. And I'll come back to this claim in a moment. So I watched the Dispatches documentary, and here are my impressions. But like I said, if you have the stomach, watch it yourself and make your own educated conclusions. Now, the accounts from the women documenting the alleged incidents are moving and are believable. What is also absolutely clear is that Russell, as a comedian, pushed boundaries. He was profane and lewd, but this isn't uncommon for comedians. Now, professionally, I believe he crossed the borders of acceptable conduct. And this appears corroborated by multiple sources and, in my estimation, is proven beyond a reasonable doubt. He abused his power as a celebrity and created an unsafe environment for his co-workers. His self-admitted sexual addiction, for which he received treatment, manifested at times in predatory behavior. Although Russell was disciplined for his conduct, his employers, which included Channel 4 and the BBC, tacitly indulged it, and the entertainment business at large celebrated his prurience and salaciousness and rewarded him for it with job after job after job. In some ways, it is the very same outlets that built him up that are now attempting to tear him down. Now, at the same time, I found the documentary to leverage numerous manipulative editing techniques to support its bias. Now, the women levying the allegations were all portrayed by actors. Now, of course, this is understandable given the horrendous public scrutiny that the actual purported victims would need to suffer through had they not been anonymous. The fact that these accusations will largely be litigated in the court of public opinion, as I have previously pointed out, is the very reason that most sexual assaults are never reported. This underreporting results in the perpetuation of abuse. Now, of course, the anonymity of these women also robs Russell of the right to actually face his accusers, as provided for in our Sixth Amendment and also echoed in British law. Now, the troubling aspect was not so much the anonymity of the accusers as the manner in which they were depicted. Now, this included the use of creepy music and witness protection style shots of actors, a technique that made you feel like you were hearing from the actual women. The fast cut juxtaposition of Russell's comedy routines with victim testimonies in some instances unfairly conflated Russell's stand-up routines with the grim personal accounts of the victims. My takeaway from the documentary was this, and again, you should watch it and make up your own mind. Russell was an unsavory character. He was a sex addict, abused his power, and consistently created unsafe working environments. And while a sexual relationship between a 31-year-old man and a 16-year-old girl may be legal in the UK, it is morally dubious at best. But did the documentary prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Russell is a rapist? In my estimation, no. 
This is not to say that the woman in the documentary should not be believed. As I've learned, only somewhere between 2 and 10% of sexual assault claims are false. Yes, there is a text exchange between Russell and the alleged victim called Nadia, in which he apologizes, and she did go to a rape crisis center on the day of the alleged incident. At the same time, there is no corroboration or physical evidence presented, let alone the opportunity for rebuttal. This documentary in no way resembles any form of due process. Now, there are very, very few accusations in the world as serious as rape. These allegations will follow Russell around for the balance of his life. They will appear in every Google search of his name. And this is a stigma that will be inherited by his innocent family. Now, he might be guilty, but if not out of respect for the law, then out of empathy, can we just step back from the brink? Imagine if these allegations were levied against you or someone you loved. Wouldn't you want the presumption of innocence? To be clear, Russell, at this juncture, in my opinion, should not be quote-unquote canceled. Rushing to judgment in the long run undermines the cause of the true justice that we all seek. Now, while there are those inclined to immediately assume guilt, there is another sizable cohort, as I mentioned, that seems completely unmoved by the allegations and the potential harm caused and believes this is a big setup. Of course, this claim was seeded by Russell, who in his denial video purports that he is the target of a coordinated attack and that this effort represents a larger attempt to stifle independent media that is critical of public institutions. Now, I am very disappointed in Russell's response here. Now, whether he's guilty of sexual assault or not, clearly his behavior during that time was morally suspect. His broadcasted prank call to Andrew Sachs claiming that he was having sex with his granddaughter is appalling. His broadcasted call with convicted pedophile Jimmy Savile, in which he promises to send over his PA naked to Savile's house, is just awful. Now, this pattern of behavior over time should have elicited a more contrite response from Russell. Now, I'm confident he's lawyered up, but he could have approached it in so many different ways. He could have said, I've made mistakes. I was an addict. I am now a changed person. I want to address any potential harm that I've caused. I think women should be hurt. He could have said any of these things while still refuting the specific charges. But instead, he doubled down on a deep state collusion theory and completely dismissed the women. Now, Russell is an iconoclast, a contrarian, a rabble-rouser, a shit-stirrer, and these are not innately bad qualities. Russell has been an outspoken critic of our institutions, and we should be engaged in vigorous public debate about how we run our governments, our public health agencies, our media establishments, and other institutions. But Russell is also an opportunist. 
He identified a lane that merged growing anti-establishment fervor in the wake of COVID and right-wing populism with wellness and conspirituality, and he just pressed the accelerator in his inimitable way. Now, he's not the only one, just maybe the most magnetic. I sometimes refer to him as the most charismatic man on the flat earth, a moniker that I think he actually might enjoy. But this is where I really have a lot of problems with Russell. For three years, he has mercilessly attacked every institution of liberal democracy with his just asking questions approach to journalism. Of course, many of these institutions have not done themselves any favors to stem the erosion of trust. Like I said, these topics are worthy of thoughtful debate. But Russell's tactics are so perfectly obvious to anyone who competes in the attention economy. He's optimized the topics and titling of YouTube videos to make skeptical people angry and scared in order to maximize watch time and serve them ads. He also added an additional spice to the recipe by also offering up meditation and breathwork as salves for that stress. It reminds me of the windshield repair shops when I lived in Brooklyn that would send thugs out at night to shatter windshields of specific cars and then leave their business cards offering replacement glass under the wiper. You create the problem and then you offer the solution. Now, if I were to borrow a page from his playbook, I might launch a video titled, Russell Brand is an endocrine disruptor. Uh, maybe people wouldn't understand that. How about Russell Brand is giving you diabetes with a bunch of exclamation points and diabetes capitalized. Now maybe I'd even A-B test both titles to see which one the algorithm liked best. And then in the content, I'd explain how his videos are designed to hijack your amygdala and propel a series of signals down your HPA axis that triggers the production of cortisol. And with every new video, he refills the IV bag of cortisol that chronically drips through your bloodstream, heightening glucose levels and activating the release of insulin from your pancreas until an excess of insulin leads to a resistance to itself. And then there you have it. You've got diabetes. Now, this might be a successful video. There actually even might be a kernel of truth to it but it is conceived in the most cynical fashion possible. And really, to what end? To get more eyeballs? To sell ads to a hair removal product? While Russell has droned on about the stifling of independent media, he leverages the same exact corrosive tactics of so-called quote-unquote legacy media. He releases content with sensationalist, hyperbolized titles, laces it with editorial bias, deploys it to tickle the algorithm and play on human negativity bias, fear, and outrage. For what purpose? To maximize watch time in service of selling ads on a platform owned by Google. Russell is prolific in this kind of content creation, which recently includes a video titled Hang on, Obama did what? In which he features a clip from a Tucker Carlson interview with a fully discredited man that claims to have had a homosexual tryst 
with President Obama. Another video asks, what really started the Maui fires? Hmm, could it be government-issued laser beams? Now, this sensationalist, just-asking-questions approach to content has garnered him 6.6 million followers on YouTube. And this is how Russell makes money, reportedly to the tune of one and a quarter million dollars per year, at least until last week when YouTube switched off monetization on his platform. Now, to be clear, there is literally nothing independent about his business model. Russell isn't operating a Substack blog or a Patreon membership or a recurring revenue subscription platform. He relies on the same broken ad revenue driven model as CNN, MSNBC, Fox, and other quote unquote global legacy media operations. Russell also makes money from ads and to a smaller extent subscriptions on Rumble, a platform that was launched as an alternative to YouTube, featuring such savory characters as Alex Jones and Donald Trump Jr., as well as a smattering of QAnon influencers. Rumble also manages ad sales for former President Donald Trump's Truth Social platform. The company raised money from billionaire and Trump donor Peter Thiel, as well as Ohio Senator J.D. Vance. Canner Fitzgerald, the legendary financial services fund, took Rumble public last year. It currently trades on the NASDAQ and has a market cap of $1.36 billion. Now, this is speculation, but I have a pretty good sense for how media functions. And my experience tells me that Rumble paid Russell a large advance to make content for its platform. To recoup their advance, they would keep all the ad revenue flowing into Russell's YouTube, as well as the ad revenue on their own platform. Well, now YouTube has demonetized Russell's channel. Now, Russell had gone silent after his initial denial video until a couple of days ago when he released what is, for all intents and purposes, an ad for Rumble. He and Rumble need to migrate the YouTube impressions to the Rumble platform to generate ad revenue. Now, Rumble's demographics are 76% Republican, predominantly white and male. So I'm not saying that Russell doesn't believe his own content. He's likely drunk his own kombucha. But there's a clear business rationale for the content that Russell generates. The cozying up to Tucker Carlson. The endless stream of videos mocking Biden's senescence. The video titled, Is Alex Jones right about COVID lockdowns returning. This content is purposefully engineered to attract the eyeballs of Rumble's demographic for the purposes of selling ads to marketers trying to reach that audience. And my point here is not political. My point is, this is not independent media. It's the same old bullshit opinion news hosted by a comedian on a billionaire-funded platform that's using the same shitty model. It's also ripping our social fabric apart, dividing people, and making them angry. Now, should Russell be demonetized on YouTube? In my opinion, no. I don't always like the content, but that's the point of a marketplace of ideas. At the same time, 
Do I respect YouTube's right as a private company to operate within their own terms of service and community guidelines? Yes. I mean, do we really want a world in which Alex Jones can monetize lies about Sandy Hook parents being actors? I mean, I know Scarlett Lewis. I interviewed her, the mother of Jesse Lewis, who was brutally gunned down by Adam Lanza at age six. For a decade, Alex Jones poured salt directly into the wound of her grief through specious claims that she was a fake and the murder of her son was a false flag event. Other parents of Sandy Hook victims became the target of death threats from online pirates influenced by Infowars. All this as Jones merrily sold his supplements. I mean, the dystopia is here. Why is Russell giving this guy any credit for anything? So while I'd support deplatforming Jones, the threshold for removing someone from a platform needs to be uncommonly high. Deplatforming Russell or even demonetizing him, in my opinion, will only further radicalize him and his audience because there is no place to go other than the thinnest edges of the epistemological branch. And it seems pretty clear that that is where he is headed. His most recent video, which was unfortunately devoid of any contrition, is a good indicator. Like many gurus before him, he is migrating his flock and the British government is only accelerating this exodus in a move that defies comprehension Dame Caroline Dinenegg, I don't know if I pronounced her name right, but she is the chair of the House of Commons Media Committee, wrote to Rumble to say that she was concerned, ostensibly pressuring Rumble, that Russell could profit from his content. Now, this kind of authoritarian connivance only fans the flames of distrust and emboldens anti-establishment fervor. Uh, Rumble responded with the most foreseeable rejoinder ever, asserting that the company would not join a cancel culture mob. And another wedge is driven into the ever-widening socio-political chasm. So, what to do? Well, candidly, I've been pretty depressed for a week and a half. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, Russell has been a good friend. I adore his family. I am proud of the work that we did together. At the same time, I am deeply troubled by the allegations and I have grave concerns over the direction that he is going. Now in these moments, I often return to the American theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, who famously wrote, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In short, we all need to focus on the matters within our own control. And my dominion is this little tiny corner of the universe called commune. The Russell allegations broke last week at the beginning of commune's first ever all team offsite. Our small and mighty team of 18 gathered in Topanga to bond. Uh, remote work has largely functioned for Commune, but we've profoundly missed in-person connectivity that is so essential in building deep relationships. 
At the offsite, we were led through a nonviolent communication course. We ate meals at big communal tables. We brainstormed blue sky ideas, and we discussed at length our core values. Of course, the dark cloud of Russell lingered over what was otherwise meant to be a cheerful occasion. The team worked rather frantically to remove a piece of Russell's content from our new wellness summit, as well as a YouTube and podcast episode. As I said, it just wasn't appropriate to release a previously recorded segment amidst the maelstrom. I also recorded my initial podcast statement, and we released two additional podcasts featuring the courageous stories of women dealing with sexual assault. While we were going through this values exercise during our offsite, emails from our community in connection with the Russell allegations were a tsunami in my inbox. As I said, they spanned the gamut, and I tried to read each and every one of them. And the theme that struck me the most profoundly is this. People, mostly women, had come to commune in search of an environment that was reliably safe. Now, over five years, commune has built a reputation for compassion, for rigor, and for safety. It's a place that people can count on for its thoughtfulness and its consideration of all opinions. We rarely shoot from the hip. You're never going to hear outlandish claims extolling the virtues of vaginal jade eggs or how bee stings enhance your beauty. Candidly, at times I am uneasy with our YouTube titling, and I plan to revisit it. I also do host reads for aligned brand partners on this very podcast, but Commune will rarely ever resort to sensationalism or hyperbole. In short, Commune has yearned to create an environment of safety and reliability. Now, this can sometimes come across as very boring on the savanna of social media. The middle way at times lacks sparkle and can be quite lonely. It certainly doesn't leverage the algorithm. We think of Commune as our house, and it quite literally is one. Even though the media platform is digital, we host retreats at Commune Topanga virtually every weekend. I ask myself, how do I want people to feel when they come to my house? Well, I want them to feel safe. It is in this sensation of safety that we access the parasympathetic nervous system. Our heart and respiratory rates decline. The aperture of our minds opens up. Creativity blossoms. Safety provides the opportunity for healing and for love to emerge. We are not a brand of salaciousness or sexual innuendo. We are not boisterous and disposed to yelling and gish galloping. We are not a company that leverages social media algorithms or human negativity bias to game the persuasion economy. And while we support healthy skepticism, we're not a brand focused on sowing division. On the contrary, we are an enterprise dedicated to fostering common ground, mutual understanding, and bringing extremes together into coherence and cooperation. We are a brand of the middle way. In short, the brand of Russell brand is not on brand for the commune brand. Now that's a pithy statement, but could be considered glib. 
given the circumstances. So I'll say it another way. Commune's core values are not in alignment with Russell's values. And I don't think it's appropriate for Russell to be featured so prominently across the commune ecosystem. That doesn't mean I don't believe there is a place for Russell in the information landscape. As I indicated in my original episode, I share a healthy skepticism of our public institutions with Russell. Hardly a single podcast episode goes by where I don't call out the misaligned incentives, corrosive influence peddling, or broken profit motives of big pharma, big media, big food, and big ag. But unlike Russell, I am not hell-bent on burning liberal democracy to the ground, nor am I in the business of cynically cozing up to characters like Tucker Carlson. I want to hold our institutions to account because at this moment in history, we really need our government and public health agencies to function. We really need industrial agriculture to transition to regenerative. We really need our food infrastructure to deliver high quality nutrition to every corner of humanity. We really need quality journalism, like the reporting from Julie Brown that broke the Jeffrey Epstein case, or the reportage from the Spotlight team that exposed child sex abuse by Boston area Catholic priests, or the investigative work into trafficking from Michael Keller and Gabriel Dance, or the reporting from Ronan Farrow that unveiled the utter nefariousness of Harvey Weinstein. These examples of stellar investigative journalism came from the Miami Herald, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, and the New Yorker, respectively, all quote-unquote legacy media operations. Now, are these outlets perfect? No way. Far from it. But at their best, they do essential and brave work. And distinguishing between real journalism and entertainment is really a good idea right now. We should also strive to offer real solutions to the problems that we see in the world instead of only critiquing them. This is why Commune makes courses on civic engagement, on how to run for office, on regenerative agriculture and soil health, on holistic non-pharmaceutical methods to heal. We want to make our institutions better from government to agriculture to the medical health industry. Insofar as Russell and the Commune platform, well, here's the minuscule piece of middle ground upon which I've landed. And I'm pretty confident it will make no one happy. But as my old business partner used to say, that's when you know it's a good deal. Now, for years, Russell has been prominently featured in our summits, promotional videos, website and masthead images and podcast mashups. And I just don't think that Russell is an appropriate ambassador for Commune for all the reasons I've just outlined. So at this juncture, Commune will slowly and deliberately be removing Russell's images from those places. This is not because we are canceling Russell. I feel, like I said, that Russell is simply not representative of the ethos of the Commune brand. That said, I do not believe we should remove the recovery course 
completely from the platform. This course helps a lot of people and reflects, in my opinion, the best of Russell's work. And just to be clear, this decision is not in the least financially motivated. The recovery course has very, very minimal impact on our company's bottom line. We largely give it away. So anyone who has bought Russell's recovery course owns that course and the program will remain in their library. Anyone who has subscribed to commune membership and relies on this course as part of their sobriety journey can always continue to access it. And anyone who is struggling with addiction and could benefit from the free recovery course can have access by emailing support at onecommune.com. To me, this is the solution that minimizes the most harm while also creating the greatest benefit. Of course, I reserve the right to change my mind as new information arises. Lastly, we should always remain open to redemption and to forgiveness. Russell is a uniquely powerful individual and capable of helping so many people. I witnessed his extraordinary ability to do so up close. I deeply hope that Russell will come around, be willing to make amends, address any harm he may have caused, and focus on the recovery work with which I was so proud to collaborate. I also want to present the notion that people aren't patently good or bad, that we tend to judge people in an increasingly binary fashion. John F. Kennedy was a purported womanizer and philanderer, as was Martin Luther King Jr., but we've hardly swept these figures into the landfill of history. In fact, their legacies remain solidly intact. Of course, no analogy is perfect. I'm not equating Russell to either of those figures. My point is that putatively good people are capable of doing bad things, and apparently the opposite is equally true. At this moment in history, I think we could all benefit from offering each other a little grace. Okay, that was a lot. Thanks for listening. Now, while this matter is deserved of thoughtful attention, Russell has a way of taking up a lot of oxygen in the room. So while I will be open to additional comment if warranted, I truly, truly hope that Commune and I can return to our core mission of helping people be well. That's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I'm here for you.